Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of September 28th. It's the final week of the month before we turn the page to Halloween month of October. The year is closing so damn fast, only three more months until we enter 2023. I'm your host, D-Swab, Derek Kessinger. Joining me, as always, is the editorial staff of Kevin Kovac, Robert Holman, and Kyle McFadden. And Kovac, these past seven days have been dubbed T-Mac Week, 40K at Kokomo, and, and another Jackson 100 title for the Watertown, New York driver. After, you know, some solid finishes, he's starting to heat up and finally broke through with some big wins. Yeah, it had been since, uh, I think, um, uh, July Back at Houston's uh, Lucas race in, in South Dakota was the last time McCready had won uh, until his $40,000 win at, at Kokomo. And, you know, that was a good one because he passed uh, Davenport, Jonathan Davenport with only a few, you know, like late in the race to, to get the lead there. Kind of a little, you know, a little redemption from back at the Silver Dollar Nationals at I-80 in July when uh, Davenport was able to pass McCready for the lead late in the race. Uh, so, yeah, he got a. A little bit of a, a joy out of that one, I'm sure. And then he comes right back and wins the Jackson 100. I mean, three-time Jackson 100 winner now. Two of the last three years he's won it. Uh, that's a that's a nice little. Uh, uh, that's a that, that's I think that might be the most wins that McCready has in any of like the bigger races, longer races uh, that are out there. I mean, he's he's got a lot of them. He's got he's won a lot of crown jewels and stuff. But you know, multiple times, I, I think now the Jackson 100 probably be the top of the list for him. <clears throat> good good weekend for him. You know, like he's been knocking on the door. I mean, I know he still has that uh, that Eldora Million uh, heartbreaker back in June still sits with him because that was right in. Yeah, he he could have gotten that one if it wasn't for that flat tire right after while I was just battling for the lead with uh, with Jonathan Davenport. So um. You know that nothing's gonna overtake that one. I mean, you never can make up for that. Uh, but now these uh, these two races, sixty thousand dollars in in one week, uh, just for two wins, both in Indiana. That's a nice little boost for him. And he also was able to rebuild his lead in the Lucas Oil points. I mean, it had gone down uh, to just a hundred points going into the Jackson One Hundred weekend, and now it's back up to almost two hundred. So uh, he he got a he got a nice boost there, and that that that's another hundred fifty thousand dollars. Uh, that he's going for with that championship. And now he has a good lead on uh, Brandon Shepard uh, with only a few races left to go. Yeah, you're right. Uh, T-Mac kind of lost the lead a little bit there. Not fully, but Shepard closed closed on him at Knoxville. But T-Mac came right back firing away and a good points racer. And Robert, I think this one might be over. Sheppy maybe can make a run here, but I just feel like, you know, you see it all the time in the NFL or MLB when a coach is, you know, is going to, keep coaching or in this case Brandon Shepard's going to be still on the ride until the end of the season but you're already starting to think next year so I feel like when yeah they're maybe not on top of their game but they're starting to think about it a little bit more and more so I think that's a big thing a part of Shepard not going to be able to catch team act do you think this one's over not really um I think that uh maybe if I'll quit picking uh McCready to win races it might be because clearly when I pick him to win races he runs you know, third, fourth, and when I don't pick him, he wins. So maybe if I will kind of lay off there, it might be over. But uh, but no, you know, with the Lucas Oil deal, you can you can make up a lot of ground, you know, in a hurry. So a hundred point lead in the Lucas deal is not like a hundred point lead in the world of all outlaws. So uh, so yeah, I don't think it's over. Um, you know, clearly with not having a lot of races left, obviously, uh, it, it makes it a whole lot tougher. But um, but anything could happen. I mean, you get caught up in a wreck, and that's the worst thing. It's not like a prelim stuff doesn't matter because you know he's going to be able to start the race because he's got provisionals. Uh, McCready, I'm talking about uh, both of them actually. So you know they're going to be in the show. So that's not the issue. Anything that happens in prelims is is a wash. But it's the feature that you really have to keep your eye on and how those prelims affect the feature, whether you're starting 20th or versus 6th, is a huge difference, you know, because you get back there and you start 20th, you get caught up in somebody else's wreck, you get a, you know, you get a wheel knocked off, you get, you know, you don't know what could happen. And, and obviously, 
Sheppy's capable of winning every single race that he, you know, he might not be having a Brandon Shepard-esque season, but we know still that he's capable of winning every single race that he pulls into the pits. So Shepard goes out and wins. Uh, T-Mac goes out and gets a spindle knocked off. Then, yeah, I mean, it's it's not over by any stretch at this point. Um, you know, clearly uh, um, T-Mac is, you know, Timmy's in the great position. You know, I think that uh, I think he will take it right now going down the stretch, but because uh, it kind of sh- short of getting caught up in somebody else's mess, he kind of, you know, determines his his own destiny here. So. So, yeah, I think that he likes probably where he's at. I'm sure he'd probably like to have a 300 point lead going down the stretch. But but I, I think he's comfortable. But I do not think I do not think it's over. We'll have to wait and see. But Kyle, my point, you know, we see in the sports world when you know a guy is going to be on his last year of his contract or it's a coach, you know, got fired, but he's going to finish out the year. I know Shepard's not fired. He's leaving on his own terms. And I feel like, you know, they're also go- good buddies. But when you see these runs, you know, in the, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth range, is it kind of maybe affecting them to try to win the title because they know next year he's not going to be there and maybe they're going to focus more on the 2023 season? Yeah, it's hard. I think. I know when after he won at Muskegon in July, I was there and I I kind of felt like that was if there was going to be a turning point in the season for for that Rocket House Car team, um, it was going to be that race and that win because Shepard had had closed the gap I think to under a hundred points after that win that night, and he was headed back home, you know, to you know race tracks like Davenport and, you know, kind of closer to much closer to his a wheelhouse and his liking than Tim McCready. And so, and really since then he's kind of backtracked. And so as to why, I mean, you know, this sport is so tough um, backtrack in terms of wins. I mean, he's been up front. I mean, at Knoxville, he went 12th to third, I think. Um, and so, I mean, he's been right there. I just think, you know, really since the summer, you know, something's been, you know, just a little bit more has been missing there, I guess, from that Rocket House car team. And so, and, you know, hats off there to Tim McCready. I mean, he's such a good points racer, right? Such a, a, a big week, probably after what had happened at Knoxville to where the 195 point lead got cut to 100 with seven uh, races left. And so now uh, there's five races left and that leads back up to one, 180. So I think in my mind, mathematically, it's obviously not over. In my mind, I think it's over. You know, I think Tim McCready has it locked up. and But, you know, there's an opportunity left there on the table for them to go get it done. And, you know, that's why they, you know, that uh, that team of Brandon Shepard and Mark Mark Richards and everybody else involved there, you know, they switched over to that Lucas tour to the Lucas tour this year for one reason. And that's obviously to win the championship. So if I'm them, you know, I don't uh, drive a race car or prepare race cars, but I would have to to, to think that they, you know, they're going to be throwing more at it, perhaps, you know, really not a hail Mary type effort, but, you know, stick to what's worked for you and, and, you know, just a little bit more urgency for, you know, these final races here. I think there's five races left, so certainly have to win. If not win, hope that something happens to to Tim McCready. But, you know, other than Knoxville this year, I can't recall a time that, you know, Tim's had anything catastrophic happen to his race car. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, T-Mac looking solid, a great points racer as always, headed towards the home stretch. Kovac, you got a comment on this? Yeah, actually, actually, Kyle, I went back and looked at that Muskegon County and and uh, and McCready uh, Shepard was actually the points leader after that. I mean, so that was almost like his high point of the year right there because he then he lost the points lead, kind of had a little lull over the next few weeks in July and into August. He really didn't, um, you know, wasn't really uh, running as well as he had been in some of those races. I think he had a problem at one. I'm pretty sure it was maybe it was Husets, I believe, and he had a, had a problem there too and dropped out and kind of fell down um i had one, one other comment too on the on the, the the point title chase it's i'm gonna bring the world of outlaws uh title chase into it too it's kind of unique here I don't, i'm not sure if this has ever happened before 
that the guy second place in points, the guy, the chaser in both national tours down the end here has already announced that they're not going to be back in the, you know, in, in their car. They're leaving their team at the end of the year. It's the same thing with Tanner English with the World of Outlaws. You know, Shepard's leaving the Rocket House car uh, end of the season. And then Tanner English has announced that he's leaving the Riggs Motorsports car at the end of the season, which, uh, I mean, really, that it's – and English is leaving at his high point. You know, he's uh, – he just won, you know, two races, uh, you know, a 30 grand race out of Davenport with the World of Outlaws. It was his first Outlaw wins back-to-back there uh, back at the end of August. and. And he's closed in on Herb, Dennis Herb, to at least make it interesting down the stretch. And, and here now they've announced that he'll be leaving the team and with un, you know, uncertain plans for English. But and again, he's just like like you said, Derek, with Shepard having uh, kind of, you know, uh, finish the season off when there are people are all, you're already thinking a little bit of next year. And it could be the same thing with with English. And, uh, and the Riggs team as they head into the last uh, few races with the Outlaws. So I thought that was just pretty interesting that it's the second place guy in both series is already uh, announced that they're leaving. That doesn't, that's something that never really happens for anybody that they say they're leaving at the end of the year. And here it is with the second place guys, in both, uh, both national tours. Yeah, we got some races left and yeah. Um, Tanner English. Whew, I mean, racing's a crazy thing. Stuff switches every single day. It's wild that, uh, a guy, you know, at the top of his game, like you said, Kovac, getting uh, going to be looking for a new ride next season as Riggs, you know, and then part ways at the end of the year. But who knows? Maybe that both those guys can catch him and win a championship and go out in style. We'll have to wait and see. Robert, I thought your story on Boyd's was phenomenal about the huge crowd there, but we'll get that. We'll get to that in a second. Oh my goodness! How about Ryan Gustin passing the veteran Dale McDowell to get the big win at Boyd's and. I think that was one of the raciest Boyd's weekend I've seen in a long time, at least in my dirt on dirt era here since 2012. It was it was great racing for that little bull ring. Yeah, it was really really good on Saturday night, especially. I thought Friday was uh, was average, not great, but not bad. I have seen you know the Lucas races weren't bad there in, in 16, 17, and 18. Uh, I think one of those maybe had a last lap pass. I can't remember, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's. Maybe not the raciest I've ever seen Boyd's because I've been going there a long time, but uh, but it was excellent racing for sure for for a two day show and for that many cars because they had a lot of support classes as well. The crowd was great. You know, I really I really felt like uh, and the thing is, you know, Ryan Gustin, he didn't get a lot of booze, I don't think, but he passed one of uh, one of Boyd Speedway's favorite sons there and kind of brushed across his nose there and and. Uh, to win that race so the fact that maybe he would have got more booze had he done that to ronnie johnson i can't you know those are literally the only two guys that i think that the boyd's crowd is really really behind all the time um you know ronnie of course being from chattanooga about eight minutes away and dale mcdowell growing up at rossville which is it's weird how the state line works there that rossville georgia is actually if you're coming down the interstate from Tennessee, you actually get to the Rossville exit long before you get to the um, to the exit for the racetrack. Before you get to the Georgia State line, it's kind of get right off the interstate and just go right down through there. It's right there. So Rossville is basically you can't tell when you can't tell when Chattanooga turns into Rossville. So with both of those guys growing up there, Ronnie Johnson, who wasn't there by the way, and uh, and McDowell. Uh, I'm not sure if fans like anybody better than those two guys. And so to see Ryan Gustin make that winning move on the last lap, um, A, it was really good racing. It was excellent. What a great finish. And you could see him coming, you know, for from six, seven laps away. He was closing, closing, closing. You're like, man, this guy has a ton of speed. Then it seemed like with like two laps left, he literally just drove up under him. And you're thinking, you know, at any moment he could drive through him. Uh, but then he kind of didn't really back off, but he kind of changed his line a little bit so he would have room to duck under him and drive down him by the, down the front straightaway and then slide in front of him. So it was a really, really exciting finish and a great job by, by Ryan Gustin there to uh, to not wreck, but and great job by McDowell also because he could have wrecked them both, you know. If he, but that's not really McDowell's temperament, of course. Anybody who knows McDowell knows that that's. Second place in a $20,000 to win race is much better than 12th place. And McDowell knows that driving a family owned car and stuff. So uh, excellent finish 
an excellent job by both drivers. They really treated the crowd to uh, to a great race there. Yeah, the real Reaper, as uh, he tells McKay Winger all the time when he rolls through Fairbury. Gustin, how big of a win was that, McFadden? In your eyes, another 20K victory for him. Second of the season, he had one at Sharon earlier in the year. And to pass a guy like Mac Daddy at his home track, that's got to give you some uh, momentum carrying on to the rest of the season to run well at other races. And he had a bad weekend at uh, Knoxville the weekend before. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think... When I look at like the world of outlaw drivers right now, obviously, you know, the attention for the news had been put out last week that uh, Tanner English and the Riggs team will part ways after the end of the season. There was three guys that, you know, I have kept track or kept tabs on for most of the season uh, more than anybody else on that tour. And that had been uh, Dennis Herb. Uh, Max Blair and then Tanner English, but here really of late, Ryan Gustin, you know, he's been, I think, solid uh, this last half of the season. I th- I think he's built a lot of uh, momentum up in that team. And, you know, even at Knoxville, things didn't go his way per se. Um, you know, he still showed, in my opinion, a lot of speed there. I think the invert got him. And just kind of the the rough track conditions, as for a lot of other guys last week in Knoxville. But, I mean, he's had a lot of speed. And, I mean, for him to pick off a win like that in that fashion on the last lap, you know, doesn't surprise me. Um, And so I guess when you're looking at potential championship contenders next year on that tour, outlaw tour, um, I don't know what Ryan Gustin's plans are for next year, but I'd like to see him go back on that little tour and, 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 and see what he can do. You know, now that uh, I just feel like things are, things are starting to uh, formulate for him. And, and so obviously, you know, to become a, a championship caliber team, you know, you need to look at the, at the model that uh, Dennis Serb has presented this season. And so, just the model of consistency and, 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 uh, you know, just, uh, I guess like running your race program from a mechanical standpoint to the umpteenth degree. And so I think, you know, this past weekend just kind of showed to me just kind of the progression that Ryan Gustin has been on this season. And so, you know, race craft and, and, you know, just finding victory lane more, that's obviously, uh, a very key part to the sport. And so he did that this weekend and uh, made it fun too. And Kovac and just the time uh, in our lives where people are complaining on social media with crowds, racetracks closing, you see a lot of the negative stuff to see a good uh, show at Boyd's Riley Hickman, you know, sticking their neck out there to bring the outlaws in for the first time in track history. You got, you got a last lap pass, tremendous crowd as Robert Holman wrote in his story. It's, pretty cool to see that and uh, makes us feel as uh, people covering the sport it makes us feel pretty great doesn't it yeah it's a it's a good example too of you know you, you put a good event together I mean and something unique it's the world outlaws you know making a debut at Boyd Speedway and uh it, it's pretty it's for our southern you know southern tracks they're not all the raciest and this seemed like it was a pretty good racy racetrack there for the uh, for the weekend and, you know, good weekend had 40, 40, over 40 cars too. I mean, that was a good turnout, uh, in this day and age, I guess you could say, but it's still, uh, you, you put a good show together and, and it means something, you know, it was a, it was, it was a pretty big deal with 10,000 and $20,000 on the line. Uh, and the fans responded, it got good weather for it too. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like a plagued by rain all weekend. And, um, and so right, what and it what it was and it's in the end of September too, so it's not in the middle of the summer where it's so hot in Georgia. Uh perfect. Just conditions worked out really well for it. And uh and it, it's it is again, like you said, Derek, it's good to see a a race uh, have a good, you know, I mean, may, everything kind of come together for a for a race to really be a home run for a racetrack, especially a little one like that. I mean, that's not not the biggest racetrack there. Uh, not in the, exactly on the national map either. Uh well, it, People people found out about Boyd's a little bit too, and so hopefully that breaks some people for other races now at that track uh, going forward uh, and you know to the to the future. 
kudos to Boyd's and company. Robert, final thoughts from the racetrack. I know that uh, you were there, got some uh, got some good notes. That, that Like I said, I mentioned it two or three times. That story was great with McDowell and Casey Schumann, how they were very pleased with the big race there this past week. And any final thoughts or some nuggets you may have for us before we get to our topic? Talking about point tracing, you know, uh, Dennis Herb Jr. lost 12 on Friday night to Tanner English. Uh, didn't have a great run. Uh, he was like, like Tanner said, uh, when I talked to him on Friday, Dennis is hanging around back there in 16th or 17th place the whole race. The next thing you know, you look up and he, he runs 10th. So it could have been much worse for Dennis on Friday. I think they were kind of kicking themselves, um, uh, Dennis and Heather, that uh, they didn't qualify better. So what does he do on Saturday? He comes out and he qualifies better. He gets to start up front of a of a heat race, wins a heat race, starts on the front, or gets a good redraw, starts on the front row. Uh, had it not been for two kind of late cautions, I really feel like he had a third place car. It would have run third, but uh, he let Kyle Bronson back by him. He let uh, uh, Chris Madden by him uh, because of a caution. I really think it overall he gained six points back on Saturday. And so overall, I think it was not a terrible weekend for Dennis Herb Jr. He only lost six points overall for the whole weekend, not for one race. So, you know, that definitely uh, definitely stood out to me in terms of, you know, we were kind of touched on the World of Outlaws points race going down the stretch here. And, and uh, you know, and they're coming up to um, three tracks that neither Dennis nor Tanner English have really been to. Uh, in Humboldt, 81 Speedway, and US 31 race. Uh, I'm sorry, US 36 raceway. So, um, going to be interesting in the world of outlaws going down the stretch for sure. Uh, a lot of, of guys that uh, you know, Vic Hill, you know, doesn't make either race Friday or Saturday over there. Just you know, I've got a lot of nuggets that could probably take up another 30 minutes. Uh, you know, but I but I won't. Just all in all, a great weekend uh, there at Boyd's. Like you said, the weather was absolutely phenomenal. I don't remember breaking a sweat, which is great at a racetrack. The crowd was excellent. Uh, you know, it's just a great, great weekend there at Boyd's. So uh, hopefully, you know, they can schedule that race again for around the same time of year and, and come back and and try it again and and continue to have success with that and build build basically build on on what they started uh this weekend this past weekend yeah phenomenal weekend at boyd's congratulations to ryan gustin picking up the twenty thousand dollar victory passing dale mcdowell you also had the likes of chris madden and kyle bronson and of course all those guys in that tennessee georgia area so big win for the reaper but moving on guys for the topic and kovac once again just making plays picking out a great uh subject for us to talk about and we're going to go around the room and tell stories or talk about our favorite um, long-running mid-level races. So the races that have been running, that have been ru- around for a very long time, but not quite reaching that crown jewel level. I'll give you an example like the Jackson 100 this past weekend. Kovac, I don't know if you're going to go with this, but also another example is the Pittsburgher 100 this weekend. Very iconic races, but not at that top crown jewel level. Kyle, we can let you go first because you've been talking about it for a very long time. I mean, this is your opportunity to pick that race down there in uh, Cherokee if you wanted to pick it. So we can let you go first. If you don't want to don't want to choose it, you have another one. But we're not going to say the name. We'll let you decide if you want to go with it or not. Thanks, Derek. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm actually gonna, <laughs> I'm actually going to go with uh, the USA 100. At Virginia Motor Speedway, I picked good that choice, one because choice. it is a good choice. I feel for the limited amount of experience, I guess that I have going out and covering these races, like you guys had. But no, I mean this race. I was looking at the history of it. I didn't realize that it's been running since 1977. Um, and so obviously, it's it's uh, it's just a, the long history of it. And so, I mean, Scott Bloomquist has won this race. Uh, multiple times, uh, Jonathan Davenport, Chris Madden, uh, Billy Moyer, right? So just kind of looking through the history of this race. And so when I went to my first uh, USA 100 in 2018, that was my first time at uh, Virginia Motor Speedway. And just um, 
that that track and that facility i mean it's like one of the nicest facilities that's not your knoxville's or your eldora's or your port royals and so i mean first and foremost the facility is fantastic and so it's um you know so you can check that one off for just kind of atmospheric um just kind of the overall setting and the experience that you get from just either you're a race fan or us uh media members i mean Press boxes are fantastic there. I appreciate that. But uh, in terms of the race itself, I just feel like, you know, on on the east or in the northeast here, you know, we don't in terms of every other feel like location where, you know, late late models are prominent. Um, I feel like the USA 100 is is top three regional race um, in the northeast. Um, if you even want to call, you know, Virginia Motor Speedway in the Northeast, I bring the Northeast into the equation because it, it just brings down a lot of the Northeastern guys that, um, that you don't normally see really go past, I guess, um, or just go down toward the Richmond area, uh, and down South. And so, you know, like a guy like Jamie Latham, you know, he's won this race. He won this race in 2012. I mean, he's just just a regional racer um, in my area up here um, in the mid Atlantic. And so, I mean, just to the uniqueness, I feel like of the USA 100, you know, it's cool to me because as I said, I mean, guys like Scott Bloomquist and Billy Moyer and, and uh, Jonathan Davenport, you know, three of the greatest of all time, you know, have won this, this uh, race, but it also pits your Southern, contenders and your northeastern guys guys that you know you just look at the roster on this given or on this race each year and i just think it's unique um it's kind of like a middle ground almost between you know the guys up north as i said and then also the guys down south too and so um i just find that cool find that unique and so and obviously the history of it uh, backs it up too so that would be my one race, um, partly because, you know, haven't gotten out to a Jackson 100 or a Pittsburgher yet. But, you know, I feel like this race is very suitable, um, you know, for this conversation. Yeah, a lot of rich history. And that 2012 Jamie Latham win was an upset special in a Lucas Oil race, beating out some pretty good drivers of like Scott Bloomquist, Blankenship O'Neill, and Earl Pearson. So that was a pretty special moment. For the number six car. Kovac, I know you love VMS. Nice facility, great pit area. That's where your son made his debut, I believe, for uh camera op, you know, taking photos way back when. Kale making uh getting a shout out here on the dirt reporters. Good pick for him, and then you can go next. Yeah, that's uh yeah, we we do have have gone down there with Kale a few times. Uh uh, it's a it's a great racetrack. I mean, I've been going to like a special, almost a special, at least one special a year at Virginia for quite a long time, you know. I I went back like in the early 2000s for a max race and when I was writing very auto racing news. And then, um, you know, and since then still been getting there quite, quite often, even when I was with the world of outlaws had some uh, races there also. So like uh, it's, and it's about four hours for me. So it's not like it's a, you know, super long ride. Uh, one racetrack though, that it, that, uh, a, a mid-level race that I kind of, I just, kind of like it, you know, it's one of those ones that it's always been kind Is of that Fayette uh, County. No, no, this would be a race at uh, oh. this weekend. It's this weekend's Pittsburgher. You know, uh, it's not the Pittsburgher 100. It's the Pittsburgher 75, I guess you would call it this this week because they have shortened it, you know, which, again, I don't believe it should be done. I, I think these guys just have never I, – I talked – A lot of great moments somebody. at this race, though, Kovac. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can, you can still keep it 100 laps. I like that. It's a big, big old race, the monster half mile. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's the, – the, there's so many – uh, people that don't like these big, great big racetracks, you know, I'm not sure, um, uh, <laughs> how much they, uh, enjoy the big tracks. I still like some, I, I don't mind going to some big tracks like that, uh, like this. And I know that one of the first times I went to the well, Pittsburgh is one of the first big late model races that I went to back in 1996 when I was with Ariadne, my first year, a uh, full time with Ariadne racing news. 
And uh, I went to the, the Pittsburgher to cover in September. And that's when it was a two-day show. I mean, this is a race that began back – the first years that they ran it was back in 1980. Uh, it, it didn't run consecutively since then. Uh, and there was some little breaks in there, 82 to 85, 87, 88. But our uh, our man Matt Long, you know, uh, you know, works at Charlotte Motor Speedway and is also was a, a, a crate late model driver Hi. and a super driver this first. year. Matt, you know, his father Ty won the first two Pittsburghers, so uh, we got that's a, that's a pretty neat little uh, note to always talk about with with Matt. But um, so he has a little history there. I, I went in '96 and it had been, it would it had become a pretty big show at that point it it was like it was on the upswing you know you could tell that this race was uh i mean it was a two day show then they had the qualifying on saturday and then the feature on sunday and it had gotten up to $21,000 to win now that's more than it pays now it's $20,000 to win now uh and it seemed like it was really on an upswing i mean there were 80 how many cars there 69 cars the year that i win six in uh Back in, in 96, the next year, there were 90 cars. So, I mean, there that's good fields, too. Um, and my uh, uh, memory of that one, though, like the Saturday race, uh, I mean, Sunday's race for the, the, the feature, it was rained out. It was rain, super heavy thunderstorms during the day. Uh, and it, it didn't seem like there was even going to be able to get this show in because it, it rained so hard. But they held out. They finally, it was supposed to be an afternoon show, and they ended up running it. Uh, starting it, I think, a little after nine o'clock, maybe or something. And then Tim hit back then running the Rocket House car but with the number 68, his own number 68 on it, passes Scott Bloomquist on the last lap uh, to get the win. So uh, Hate to see I, it. I, I'll never forget that one. I mean, it was one of those uh, big shows that I wanted, I covered, and uh, you know, with with before I really was into total late models and. And, and to see that happen, it's it's totally memorable. And I had a, I mean, I remember having a really good time, even on Saturday night there. They had a tent set up, and it was a big party with a DJ. And it's and and it, again, it hasn't, it didn't keep up that momentum for the last, you know, now 26 years later. Uh, it, it's not quite. It's only a one day show now. It, it's not. It's not going to get 69 cars or whatever were there back in '96. I mean, you're hopefully to get 40 now. Uh, but I still like going there, and in, in the last few years that I've covered it, it it's always produced some pretty decent uh, racing, you know. Even though it's a it's a, it can be a grueling hundred laps at a big racetrack like that, I, I just there's something about the Pittsburgher still that I like, uh, and and I'll and I'll enjoy going there again this Saturday to to cover it again. It's uh it's it, it's a place where you really could really become a really big event. I think. Uh, I mean, the racetrack's only like ten miles from the Philadelphia, I mean, excuse me, the Pittsburgh airport, lots of hotels and malls and food and I mean, all kinds of stuff just right down the highway from the racetrack. So, I mean, it seems like this is a place where really could have something you can make something out a lot of area there, too. Um, it, it, the track is, you know, it's it hasn't been it's not its heyday anymore. Uh, I still like going to the Pittsburgh. I'm glad it's still on the schedule and I wish it was 100 laps, but hey, we'll we'll take the 75 because they uh, they don't want to have to have a fuel stop now. I mean, that race has so much rich history. If you go back from like 1986 to 2010, just the different winners, Scott Bloomquist, Tim Hitt, Rick Auckland, uh, Donnie Moran, uh, Chubb Frank, Bart Hartman, Chubb. Just a list goes uh, Yeah, a list goes on and on. Kovac, quick question though. Why didn't this race come up to the next level? Because in 1986, it paid $41,000 a win. It was a big, huge stars race, probably one of the biggest ones they had, you know, throughout the year, especially in their neck of the woods. It just never got to that next level. Yeah, that's that's a good question, really. I think maybe it's more about, like, what the um, – it could – a little bit of this, this big racetrack thing, you know. I mean, like, as time has gone on, uh, there's just less guys that want less teams that want to really go run that big racetrack. And although, I mean, I, I don't think Pittsburgh is necessarily super hard on equipment there. It usually gets pretty slowed down it, it, for the feature. And, and I've, I've rarely seen like really bad wrecks. I mean, there, there was a bad one a few years ago with John Flinner uh, took a flip in a hot laps. You know, he kind of hit a, a rut and, and, and took a, and then that messed his, you know, gave him a good, good concussion. And, and there's been other wrecks, but, it's it's doesn't seem like it's it's terribly hard on equipment. I mean, I would I would call like West Virginia seems like it's harder on equipment than Pittsburgh always has been. It's Pittsburgh's 
typically been pretty smooth and, and it gets slick for the feature and it slows down pretty well. Uh, I think it's more of just the rest of the racetrack is, uh, and it doesn't run super late models on a weekly basis anymore. They used to have a pretty good super late model weekly show there. I mean, have all our man, Steve Baker there from rocket chassis. I mean, he used to, he's a, um, you know, a, a big winner at, uh, at, at Pittsburgh and when the super late models were there all the time and, and it just, they run crates there now uh, when when they do race, and it's they just don't have I guess like that big following on a weekly basis that they used to. I mean the a lot of the race the, the bleachers that they used to have there aren't even there anymore. They had to take they just took some of them down and just one main grandstand left. Um, and it's uh so I mean I think that's that's probably plays into it more. And there's always been also now for years there's been that like that uh you know that looming shadow of like is this track being sold uh that, that's a track that the, the miley family is like hey it's people they've had to like talk down a lot of these rumors over the years because it's in a spot where it seems like a pretty right off of a highway and it could be a, outside of pittsburgh it could be a pretty desirable location for someone to buy uh right now like homes haven't gotten out that far but uh it's, it also but that i think that also factors in it just has an uh uh, been able to to get that momentum that it had at the start. Regardless, hope PPMS has a great weekend. And uh, most recently, 2018, Bobby Pierce went in the pit on lap 44 and came all the way back to win the Pittsburgher 100 back in 2018. So that was a phenomenal race, a crazy moment as well. A lot of rich history for that event. Go back, great choice. Big shot, Bob. I'll go last. I'll let you go third. What do you got, buddy? I feel like you're going to have a good one here. Do not pick um, mine, though. Well, I don't know what yours is. What? Tell me what yours is, and then I then I'll not pick it. It's in Illinois. Okay, then it's not. I'm not picking the race in Illinois. Um, All right. Cool. Obviously, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay here in the South, and uh, and, and I have to look at, at the the Magnolia State 100. You know, there at uh, there in, in Mississippi, it is a uh, it is well kind of unfortunate that uh, that that race that the Cotton Picking 100 and uh the magnolia state 100 uh kind of combined uh, i think in 2013 but uh until that point the the magnolia state 100 uh which began in 1989 and uh, i think it began it didn't begin in columbus mississippi it was uh actually in meridian at, at why not raceway the old why not raceway not the the racetrack that where they race now and um it is uh, just for me personally, I've probably been to that race as far as high profile races. I've probably been to that race more than uh, than any other, you know, big race. Uh, I actually went down to Suncoast Speedway, which is all the way down in Gulfport, Mississippi. The only time that that race was held at that track in 1993, watched uh, Wendell Wallace outrun Mike Boland, Billy Moyer. Let's see, Ronnie Johnson was there. Steve Francis, Bill Fry, uh, took some. I remember. I, in fact, I showed uh, I showed Francis a a photo that I had taken of that from that weekend while we were up at uh, Eldora this uh, a couple weeks ago. I uh, showed Francis a picture. It was we're all the way down on the coast, and it was so freaking cold. I mean, it was brutally cold. The race got rained out the night. Uh, the prelim first prelim night they finally finished it on a sunday i rode down there to that racetrack with jimmy thomas uh, also known as pup uh the hoosier tire guy from east tennessee and uh, i met him at ronnie johnson's shop at midnight and rode down there in his uh tire truck with him to see that race that is a um that was 93 i was 23 years old uh that race led to me getting fired from a job I have a lot of a lot of memories from that weekend, guys. Uh, that that race, uh, my my boss didn't appreciate me leaving uh, when I left on like that late Thursday night, and so anyway. But the race itself uh, has been oh, through the years. It's it's been phenomenal. You know, a dozen times that that track and that that race, at regardless of which track it's at, has drawn seventy cars or more, and. In I think 2003, it drew a hundred race cars, a hundred cars. That's incredible. 
for for racing like that. I think it peaked in 2010 at uh, twenty five thousand dollars to win, and now of course pays uh, like uh, they've split it up now in terms of uh, of how they do the program. They run a four thousand to win race on Friday and come back with a twelve thousand to win race on Saturday. So it's still not too shabby. You can go back, go down there and win sixteen thousand for the weekend, but it's not quite where it was in its its heyday of paying twenty five thousand to win when it was really drawing those fifty, sixty cars every single event. It's one of those races also that despite where it has been, it has still continued. You know, it's been at uh, Gulf Coast. It's been at uh, the old Columbus racetrack, uh, the Bull Ring. It's been at Meridian. And now, of course, it's at Magnolia Motor Speedway, the, the Johnny Stokes promoted track. So the event has lasted since 1989. And uh, it's just, it's one of my all time favorite events. And ironically, I've not been in the last two years, which I think kind of defines where we're at with the event and it defines where we're at with our sport other races have been scheduled on top of it they didn't have the race in 2021 because of some scheduling issues i didn't go this year and i didn't go in 2020 when uh i think chris madden won that race but um i think that kind of pinpoints a lot of the problem with the race like this it's an unsanctioned race and other races have have been scheduled on top of it despite its history and maybe the fact that it went from 25,000 and back down to, I guess, uh, 20 or something like that it went back down to 20,000 and then it went to 12,000. So that kind of, kind of pinpoints what's up with the, the race. And I don't know why, and obviously the promoters need to make money. So, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest things, but you look through the years, Billy Moyer, who was to me back when I was, you know, 20, 21, he's 22. <clears throat> yeah, he, he really has. He's won it like uh, at least like seven or eight times. And uh, the last time in 2011. But uh, it seemed like back in the day, Billy Moyer's second home was in Mississippi back in the day. Uh, it's like Billy Moyer from Arkansas. No, the Billy Moyer from Mississippi, you know, because he it's like he lived and made money in Mississippi for, for so long. In fact, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, I think he won like five of the first eight events that this race was held. So, you know, back in the the early nineties, he was just really dominant in those, in that area. But Scott Bloomquist has won the race. Madden's won it twice. McDowell, Marler, Chris Wall, Clanton, o, uh, Don O'Neill, uh, you know, I, I, Terry English, Wendell Wallace won the race uh, that I was at in 93. He won it again in 98. You look at the Jimmy Owens, uh, if you look at the Brandon Overton, I could go on. I mean, the, the winners of this race is just uh, it's just a who's who of the best in the sport. It's incredible. And, to, and this, to me, this race and the National 100 in Phoenix City, Alabama, to me, had the best ch chance, had the best opportunity to take the next level, to get to a crown jewel of any race we have in the South. Any race. These two because they had the his, they've got the history on their side. They had got up to that money level where you're like, we need to take the next step with the money. They both have great facilities. Magnolia Motor Speedway is immaculate. You know, it is the pit area is level. The track is beautiful. The gumbo, the, the stands are, are concrete. You bring your own, you know, folding chair. It's great. Uh, and Phoenix City's uh, and you know East Alabama's kind of the same way. The car count was up for both events. So, but those two races for some reason just never took the next step. You know, look at like I said, go back and look at the winners list. Go back and look at the history for the Magnolia State 100. That's all you need to know. The car counts there. The money was there at the time when money when those events were high. You paying twenty five thousand to win in two thousand ten. That's pretty good money. For 12 years ago and now it's just eh, it is what it is but uh but those two races to me had the the best opportunity to get to crown jewel status for any race here in the south and to see them not do that um for a long time fan is really disappointing to me uh, of course like i said promoters have to make money they have to do what they got to do to survive and keep the race going and i'm glad they have 
Uh, so who am I to judge why or why not the race didn't take the next level? But uh, but those uh, but that Magnolia State 100, you know, has drawn some great car counts, some great drivers, and uh, it's just a, always been a good time. It's in the fall, so it's always cooler. Uh, just everything about it is is wonderful. Uh, you know, for me growing up, going down there to Mississippi to see these races so many times. Oh yeah, Magnolia is definitely one of the best tracks in the South, and arguably the best in Mississippi, no doubt. Famous racetrack, great choice, Robert. Mine probably pays the less out of all of them, but it's been running since 1981, and I'm gonna every July during the Summer Nationals. It's arguably probably the one of the most famous, and if not the biggest, Summer Nationals race on tour. It's the Herald and Review 100 at Mighty Macon Speedway. It's been running for 42 straight years, uh, never a rain out. They've always have gotten it in. The winners list is. I mean, Kevin Weaver, Shannon Babb, Billy Moyer, Scott Bloomquist, Don O'Neill, Brandon Shepard, Bobby Pierce, just a, you know, it's who's who of drivers winning some hundred lappers at the world's fastest fifth mile. You get dizzy watching it from the infield. There's been just some crazy, you know, uh, shenanigans, I guess I should say, that's happened there, like in um, 1997 when Shannon Babb gets in the Virgil Bilby car and you know goes from the tail his original car didn't start so this guy big guy never really good lets Shannon get in it goes all the way from dead last to win the race goes to the scales he's like 100 pounds less than this Virgil guy and he's light the scales the place is going bananas Uh, just one of those uh, folklore nights at Mighty Macon 1996 Billy Drake took out Joe Ross Jr. with five laps to go and I'm pretty sure the Making faithful, let Billy Drake know they're throwing uh, beer cans at him as he, uh, you know, was in victory lane and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so great moments there. We had Gordy Gundaker on the Herald and Review 101 where Bobby Pierce is getting ready to cross the checkered flags. They bring it back. Gordy passes him on a restart. Just all this craziness, just all this rich history that's happened, I mean, 42 years. The only downside, I guess I should say, is it maybe should pay a little bit more, Kovac. Hunter laps been around five grand every single year other than that the racing there is awesome on this little you know fifth mile they can go three wide you never know what's going to happen lap traffic chaos it's a it's a fun race and it's uh one of those races that i always want to hit up every single summer yeah 100 laps on a fifth mile i mean yeah that's doesn't happen too often uh that's what makes that unique in itself just a, a long distance race on such a little track which I mean, God, that doesn't equal out to much, right? I mean, that's what's at 20 miles, I think, or something, if I'm doing my math correctly there. But, uh, you know, they just whip around that place, and and you're, nobody's really getting away because there's always going to be lap traffic in, when you got a 100-lapper on, on a little bullring like that. And, yeah, it is – I mean, it, I, that would be nice if that race it, – it's always been usually in that $5,000 range, I think. I'm not sure if it's ever paid more than that. So It's paid seven uh, in 2008 and then six when the Summer Nationals midweek shows, which makes oh, gotcha. no sense how they're less now. So, But, yeah, it's been <laughs> yeah, around right. that five to seven grand – to win um they've had lucas oil races but that's not the herald and review and just to race mm-hmm. 42 straight years with like no rain out like some races have had rain out to usa 100 they didn't even have an event so it's pretty cool to see them go for that long and it's really kind of the last equalizers i know that we have the dome but really like 15 to 20 people they can unload if their bottom's right they can win that race yeah i would kind of wish that would race would get a little bigger you know and get more uh more attention uh, from everyone in the dirt late model world because it's a uh, it's pretty neat it's pretty it's, it has its own little place in the in the landscape i guess robert do you ever get sleepy and dizzy watching the herald and review 100 a lot, a lot of cars a lot of action and carnage going on definitely don't get sleepy uh i mean that if you fall asleep during that race you you're at the wrong dang place um it, it's one of those races though that uh that i always heard about when you're reading the like you said it's been going on for most of my lifetime uh so it's one of those races that when you got the trade papers back in the day and you read it that's one of those you, and you hear the funny part is you hear herald and review 100 uh which is you know it's sponsored by the local newspaper which is awesome and for it to continue to be sponsored by the, the you know they send a reporter out which is really awesome so you know that gets a lot of coverage 
But, uh, but you know, when I used to get the trade papers and you're reading that race and you see like Scott Bloomquist wins it, you actually think that this race pays in a crazy amount of money. And, uh, and, and it didn't, but it's one of those races where you get the trade papers, you read it and you're like, this is a really big race in the state of Illinois. And it's a really prestigious race in the state of Illinois, actually. So to win that race, uh, is a real feather in the cap of those guys that, that have managed to pull it off. And like Kevin said, I, I it should pay me. It should pay more. Uh, when I first went to my first one covering the summer nationals, uh, actually like six years ago. I was baffled that it paid 5,000 to win. I thought that that race would pay a minimum of 10. The place is packed. You can't find a place to park. It is, uh, the atmosphere is good. Uh, the race should pay 10,000 to win minimum. And, uh, you know, and then 5,000 per second. Cause let me tell you, it might be a short race if it goes green, to, you know, green to checkered with, with as short or small as the track is, but there's, it's a lot of work. You know, it is a is you might not be driving far, but you're working hard to get it. So the race should pay ten. Hello, I don't know who you know the money. I don't know if the money's there. Hell, but it should be because that place is freaking packed. And uh, like I said, the atmosphere is great. It's it's one of Illinois' best. It's not a it's not a well kept secret because hell, it's it's one of Illinois' best races in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like that during the hell tour always gets the most buzz. I know that farmer city, Fairbury, Fayette County, Oakshade with the birthday race, they, you know, are great races in their own right. But the Herald and review is the crown jewel of the summer nationals been going on for a long, long time. All right, guys, as always, we finish the show with one more thing. And Kyle, Darren, you know, it's football season. I'm going to start calling you Darren again. We'll let you lead off. What's uh, what's your one more thing. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Tyler Bear from Rock Rockbridge Baths of Virginia for picking up the $50,000 Fast Track uh, World Championship at Virginia Motor Speedway this past weekend. He's had a pretty good year. I mean, that was his his, his third uh, non-super win that, that pays more than $10,000 this uh, season. So, Obviously, this one being fifty thousand on a on a uh, late race pass of Zach Dome, so another exciting race down there at VMS. And you know, you'd have to think if uh, Jonathan Davenport has obviously won the most money among the super drivers this year, among the non super drivers, you'd have to think you know Tyler Bears probably right up there, if if not at number one of of you know at the top of non, you know, super drivers who have accrued the most money this year. So shout out to him. Yeah. 50 K is nothing to joke about, especially in the crate world. Uh, kudos to Tyler bear, Kevin, what do you got, man? You're looking like you're pumped up. I'm pumped up. Well, no, I'm just, uh, worried a little bit here about something that's going on down South. I mean, as we're recording this on Tuesday, there's a big, uh, hurricane Ian kind of moving up the, uh, west coast of Florida, and, and it's gotten its crosshairs, uh, uh, Tampa. Uh, I, I think uh, it, it's all, by the time this, we, we post this, I mean, the, the actual track of the storm could change, but there's no doubt that Tampa is in the, in, you know, right in one of the main spots here. It could be really bad for Tampa, and one of the racetracks that's right outside of Tampa, of course, is East Bay Raceway Park. And that racetrack isn't far from the bay either. It's it's close, very close. And like I just looked over, uh, just checked the storm surge uh, zone map uh, uh, that they're predicting here for the area, you know, Gibsonton, Florida, where East Bay is, and, and East Bay racetrack. The speedway is right in that. I mean, it's it's in the number one, uh, you know, the, the the prime area there for storm surge if uh, if it the, the worst that it could be. So. Um, let, let's hope that uh, everything goes all right, like they can get through this without too much damage to the racetrack. Uh, uh, maybe the race, maybe that storm track will take it away from the speedway uh, where they won't get the brunt of it. But I mean, if it would go right up that bay area there and man, they could they could really get hammered pretty good. And uh, and, you know, of course, I mean, the East Bay is, uh, you know, the talk is that it'll be sold. I mean, there's there's been, you know, we got three more years or two more or three more years, whatever it is left for speed weeks. And. And man, you, you, you uh, I mean, a worst case scenario could be just th this track getting a, a hurricane blowing right over it and storm surge and winds and, and everything just really damaging that place. I mean, will, will that place be, will, will the money be put back into it to fix it up if something like that badly, you know, you look at worst case, uh, 
uh, would it be ready to go for even February? So let's hope everything, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get that racetrack to come through this storm and, and, you know, thoughts with everybody else too. I mean, we got a lot of, no, a lot of race, a lot of racing people that, uh, maybe, uh, you know, that, are, that have stuff, have houses down there. I mean, I mean, I know there's a couple off the top of my head, Dale Beitler, he's over there, not far South of Tampa, um, with the place that, that he lives in for part of the year. And also a guy like, uh, David Wells, Brandon, Brandon Overton's owner. He um, has a place down near Sarasota. So, then, you know, like that's let's hope everybody gets through this uh, storm. OK, maybe it'll stay out to the sea of the Gulf of Mexico a little bit and, uh, and, and diminish before it comes on shore. Yeah, our thoughts uh, are going out to the people that could be affected by the hurricane there as well as East Bay. Kovac going worst case scenario that East Bay will be closed because of storm damage. All right, Robert, no, let's not got? go that far, but it's possible. We don't want that to be even a yeah, factor. Okay. Right? Worst case scenario, <laughs> not going to happen. Okay. Robert, what do you got, man? Well, that's Kevin Kovac with uh, live ongoing coverage from Hurricane whatever this is. <laughs> I don't even know what the name of the hurricane is, but uh, doing his best weather channel uh, impression, and I like it. I like it a lot. So if he doesn't have a – if Kevin can't make it in this business, he possibly has a, a, a gig with, uh, uh, you know, the weather channel. I like it, Kev. Jim uh, Cantori. Jim Cantori, there you right? Go. Yeah. When, you'll be that guy that when they're like, "Oh, Kovacs in town. It's got to be rough. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a rough weekend if Kovacs in town. They've sent him. I saw the saw the van. Anyway, uh, my uh, my one more thing is uh, I would like to just uh, point out that uh, Volunteer Speedway in Bulls Gap, Tennessee, uh, appears to have a, a new leasee or a, a new management team in place for 2023 you know the racetrack has kind of uh bounced around for the last couple of years um basically just not really a full season you know it's had a different different promoters here and there but uh josh prophet who uh whose family uh i guess him and his wife maybe were were running mountain motorsports park in ism kentucky uh have struck up a deal to uh, to promote volunteer speedway, I do not know, I do not have a clue what the prospects of Mountain Motorsports Park are next year. But I know that uh, Josh and his uh, family, I guess, are going to promote volunteer speedway in Bulls Gap, Tennessee, in 2023. So that's one of the state's better racetracks, you know, and it's over there in that East Tennessee area where there's just a a gaggle, a cluster of of good facilities from you know, uh, the Bulls Gap and 411 and uh, I-75 and Tazewell and, and um, uh, places like that. It's just really uh, a good hub over there. So a Smoky Mountain, I can't leave out Smoky Mountain for, for sure. So uh, congratulations on them of, of striking up that deal and uh, good luck to them as they go forward in 2023 and, and hopefully they'll bring some good racing over there uh, to Bulls Gap. Yeah, they had huge crowds at the Kyle Larson race in April, and they had a big crowd there for the XR race, the Scorcher 100, So, uh, or the Scorcher, I guess. Uh, so cool to see that happening for 2023. My one more thing is just plenty of racing still this week. We got tonight, uh, the Flow Night in Atomic. Then tomorrow, let's hope they can you know get the Hillbilly 100 in. It seems like that race has just had so much bad luck here the last two to three years, so... Let's hope Carl Short and Tyler County can get that race in. And also, quick shout-out, underrated track in Illinois this weekend. Lucas Oil MLRA is at Sycamore, 5,000 on Friday, 7,000 on Saturday. Just a couple uh, more chances for guys in the lane of Lincoln to make some money there at a track, Kovac, where they love to drink beer. That place, we went there for the first time in the Summer Nationals debut. Great race as well, but that place, I mean, they drink more beer than Fairbury, I think. They had draft yeah, beer, they, people loving it. Oh, draft beer right there at the little bar at the racetrack. There's even a bar outside the racetrack, right? You know, you can go in there afterwards and uh, and hang out. I think that's a yeah. They they people get into it. I mean, that's what maybe that's why they get so uh, you know excited about the races there. They have a few a uh, few beers before you know uh, every race. Yeah, I hope they have a great weekend up there in Sycamore. That is my one more thing, guys. Any final thoughts? We good? All right. Well, thank you for listening to the show this weekend. Plenty of coverage for the Lucas Oil, World of Outlaws. 
Regional series will be live on Flow Racing for some pay-per-view action. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to Flow Racing, please do because you get all these great races and coverage as well. And then make sure to ch- read these guys' stories from this past weekend. This weekend, they do a phenomenal job. We'll have a swab talk this week as well. So be sure to check that out. It'll be with the truth, Greg Satterley. Maybe we can talk about Calzones. If you know truth is listening right now, he loves those things there in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. Until next week, this is the Dirt Reporters. Thank you for listening.